What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I have PhD Todd Duncan, who is a PhD in physics at Pacific University. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rick. It's great to be here. Excited to excited to chat. I'm very excited to to speak with you as well. Um, it's we're trying to John and I are trying to get better at bringing in uh, really smart minds and understand you listen to the Avi Loeb podcast, and we're definitely going to get into aliens, as always, because I cool. love them, and I love the possibility that there is uh, something out there that might be smarter than us. But I think before we dive into that area, I'd kind of like to you know, figure out how you got interested in physics and kind of get your story. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm really happy to be part of this, partly just because I like I like the the framework of what you're doing of sort of you know just asking questions and kind of exploring the universe. And uh, I think it's gonna be really fun to look back after you have a bunch of these collected and just have like all these. So my my story is kind of along those lines: is that I grew up just kind of really curious about deep questions, you know, like I wanted to know, does the universe go on forever? And what happens when we die? And, you know, all the things that probably a lot of people think about. But uh, so I guess, and I was, I watched Cosmos, you know, the, the Carl, Carl Sagan, Sagan. Yep. Cosmos, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and I just was totally hooked on that, you know, that, and especially the interdisciplinary, you know, the sort of like, I didn't just want to do science, I wanted to do the, the art and the poetry and the like, you know, who are we? Like, what are humans and how do we fit into all this? So I was just totally, you know, there's the scene where he kind of says, come with me on this journey to explore the universe. And I was, I was right there. You know, like, just like, all right, I'm with you wherever we're going. So, you know, I was like nine, I think, and I didn't know what astrophysics was or any of that sort of thing. But um, so that sort of started me though. Like, you know, I just, I wanted to learn about all that sort of stuff. And, and kind of the journey I think has been, I don't know. I almost see, I almost see it like I'm a physicist, but I'm not. I'm not attached to being just in physics. Like I just sort of want to explore the questions and kind of my my path to get here has been a lot of that, a lot of wandering of just kind of like, what do I need to do to be in the right place to to try to get the answers to questions that I'm curious about. Um, and I guess sort of the big the big thing career wise was that it did seem really important to me that like all these other things are interesting, but somehow we've got to have something to ground us. Right. And something mm -hmm. to filter, like, you know, we can speculate about so much stuff. Um, but I felt like there was something in physics that I needed that was, you know, like these are the core principles and this is how the world, you know, like this is how the world works. Not, not completely. Cause I think there are some things that are sort of outside of the realm of what we can maybe address with physics, but that somehow we have to have a filter, right? So that we're not yes. just not just speculating yeah, about whatever yeah, we want. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. This is taking philosophy, right, and showing it in the material world. That's the beauty of physics. It's it's people that live in their head, but then want to do experiments to justify maybe some of their thoughts. That's what, I, and that's you know my interpretation of it. I I mean that yeah. seems like you have a fairly simple one. And what? Like, what questions did you try and answer in, in so far have you been trying to answer yeah, in your career? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, so, I mean, I guess the driving, the driving thing for me, I, I sort of got caught up 
at some point as a kid on, you know, this sort of, there, there's this tension between um, kind of how we tend to interpret the the science picture of the world, sort of the narrative that science tells about the world that I think, I think is separate from the science itself, but it, it gets entangled, which is this kind of meaningless, you know, kind of the reductionist materialist kind of narrative that leads to the idea that, well, we're just meaningless kind of, you know, yeah. things in this material world. Right. And that really bothered me like at a really deep level as a kid. And so I sort of see that I, I have this phrase of looking for meaning in the modern universe that's kind of been my driving force is sort of how, how can I reconcile like the subjective experience and the desire for purpose and values and all that sort of stuff with this picture I was getting about, you know, the world that seems to be how it sort of works. Um, so that's been, you know, if I look back and sort of see like what things I've been interested in along the way, um, including cosmology, which is, you know, kind of what I focused on. It's, it's been this kind of how, how can we access the science in a way that, like I said, keeps us grounded, but also doesn't forget that there's wonder and there's mystery and there's, you know, all these other things going on there. So I, I kind of, so I've been interested in um, questions about consciousness, right? Like how does consciousness fit within the universe? And then you have to, you have to get into quantum mechanics because it's just cool. <laughs> There's so many interesting puzzles and, but it, you know, but partly it, it really gets at this idea that, that the world is not as cut and dry as we, we sometimes kind of convince ourselves that it, that it is. And so, so yeah, I, I mean, I guess I could talk a long time about those sorts of things, but like, well, that's, that's been the driving question has been that where's the, where does meaning live in the world as we understand it through science? Yes, and I do like that you brought up consciousness because I I just read a book not that long ago. I think it was it's called Blind Sight, and it's kind of, it, yeah, it kind of questions in a very sci fi way consciousness. So it's like it's first contact, right? The little synopsis you have people having first contact with uh, an alien species, and we think that they're conscious, but they're not. I mean, the, the kind of a brief synopsis is they are smarter than we are, but they're not conscious. They're not acting in a conscious manner. And they think that consciousness is it's a liability and not an asset because they're able to make decisions and think faster. Right. Um, and mm -hmm. so I've always that I've never thought about consciousness in, in that sense that it is a liability could from you know this author's perspective right um that it could be a liability and 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 not an asset like he's like the it, it's during the book you kind of figure out really it's a chess match but it's not a chess match between the humans it's a chess match between the computer that they call the captain right that's making all these calculations and then decides that it's hostile and then I'm ruining the plot. Spoiler alert. Um, and 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 like ends up ends up you know going to war with this thing, and it kind of has a zero sum game. Like they both kind of equal cancel each other out. But like we wouldn't have been able to think that fast and see. So is it like? Have you ever thought like maybe consciousness isn't the best thing because we have our, you know our brains we have what one point of one point five million year old software and we're so concentrated on our egos and you know finding mates and and you know just getting weighed down by all of these things but then and you know we have computers that can 
make art and write symphonies now and uh, through artificial intelligence. I mean, I obviously think I'm biased. I think consciousness is awesome, but is it (laughs) really in the grand scheme of things? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so you're thinking like, is there, is there a way of being aware somehow without being conscious or something? Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's kind of essentially what okay. the, the this writer was kind of teasing. Like, how can you, the, you know, what if we met something that is aware but isn't really conscious? It's, an inter- really it's, a, it's a mind-blowing concept. It's a very weird book. I enjoyed it because I've never thought about it that way. Yeah, and I'm going to check it out because, I mean, one of the things... Uh, hmm. One of the things I was, you know, as I was kind of thinking about things we might talk about and and with aliens and all that, one of the things that fascinates me is the idea that maybe whatever, I mean, maybe some sort of alienness is all around us and we just don't, we don't recognize it, right? Is this sort of idea that, I mean, we're very biased on our, on our, I mean, right, maybe plants are conscious, maybe, I mean, think about sort of the Gaia hypothesis sort of thing, maybe... What Maybe the there's gu- something more holistic. Oh, so like the idea that the Earth is sort of an organism in some sense, right? That the Earth as a whole is. Um, oh, I have not heard that. I'm very intrigued because that makes a lot of sense. In that case, we'd yeah. probably be a virus on, on the planet. Yeah, yeah that's true. Right? You might be a virus in that context. probably be a yeah. virus on, on that context. But I definitely, I mean, the natural world the idea that I, I'm not a hundred percent when we talk about, when you bring up plants and consciousness, that is an idea I spent a lot of time thinking about because you have mycelium in the forest floor that is a that has the ability to transfer nutrients from one tree to another, right? They can, it communicates. There's a, basically a neural network underneath our feet mm-hmm. and that's, pretty heavy stuff, right? There is, there are so many nutrients or bacteria and stuff. I mean, if we took a shovel and dug a foot down, we'd probably find new forms of bacteria. Like that's just, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, and then you have different like sea creatures. You have like whales have an entire, uh, especially killer whales that have a bigger brain than we do with a more, uh, I'm I'm getting in the weeds here, Johnny, you might need to pull this up, but, uh, um, they have a completely different section of, of their brains that we don't have. Um, and I do not know, do not know what that's called. Mm -hmm. I'm way over my skis here. I'm not a biologist, (laughs) but, um, uh, it's, it's something that I read and it escapes my memory, but I, yeah, I, I definitely think that there is some credence to the fact that the, the, the Gaia hypothesis, which I've never heard of, so thank you for that. I'll yeah, James, James Lovelock is the originator of that. And it's, I mean, I, I don't know very much in detail, but the, the general idea is, is a lot like what you're talking about, right? The idea that, that you can see the planet as as kind of a, an organism that, ha, you know, that has feedback mechanisms, right? You know, that there's sort of, it responds to things. And, yeah. and maybe I'd never, until you just mentioned it, I never thought about it in terms of, you know, life forms that may have a kind of a sentience that isn't conscious, right? That would be. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. plants, if you, if a giraffe's munching on one acacia tree, it'll send a chemical signal in the wind, right? And then it'll change the other acacia trees. Their leaves will get more bitter, 
right? Like if that's not a form of communication and a little bit of awareness, I mean, it's pretty bizarre. John? Uh, I found what you were talking about, about uh, whales. Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> so besides the fact that whale brains are obviously much larger uh, than human brains, they have, uh, where was this? Oh, I just had it. Here it is. They have more lobes, like you were saying. Their uh, limbic system is not contained to one lobe of the brain like humans. It's, it's an extra paralimbic uh, lobe. I think they have a, like a larger emotional center or more or, or, or a, a more developed emotional center too. But again, yeah, that's not true. It also says, uh, this is this article that I'm reading. Uh, it's a combination of multiple structures that like, it's like a super enhanced limbic system, basically. Cool. Don't even know what that so, is. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I lost it. Well, I'm just thinking now that, you know, maybe whales may have all the answers for us here because they, from an astronomy point of view, right, at least some whales have much larger pupils, right, larger eyes. So I've often wondered about, like, you know, if you have 10-inch diameter eyes and you look up in the sky, you know, especially out in the ocean somewhere where it's, oh, yeah. you know, like, what does the sky look like to a whale, right? Yeah. Like, um, and there's no light pollution out there no either. You, you basically have telescopes for eye, or, you know, small telescopes for eyes. So, and then if they have this processing capability that... Yeah. You might need to chat with them. You might. You should probably bring one on the show. <laughs> I would. Lo- <laughs> I would love to. They just don't have a posable. They don't have thumbs though, and they can't manipulate yeah. their environment. So that's their. That's their knock. They could be smarter than us, for all we know. We don't know. We can't talk to them. Well, and which really does. I mean, you know, getting us to the idea of aliens that we kind of started out. You know the the theme of. I mean, it does make me wonder, right? I mean, whether what we look for is going to bear any resemblance to what what's actually out there, right? I mean, the, the things the things that we know how to use to look for aliens may not at all be the right, you know, we look with radio signals and we look with, you know, even, even assuming that they're spending, sending spacecraft of some kind or artifacts or whatever, you know, maybe, maybe they have just totally different ways of interacting, viewing the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're, that, you know, we don't need to look for them. Maybe they're just going a- along the asteroid belts and dropping um, little fungi on these uh, rocks with the hopes that they'll hit a planet right. and then gen- genetically mutate and adapt and survive and seeding life. Who knows? I-, I like to look at the universe as a giant ecosystem to the mm-hmm. lights of which we don't and, and, and think of like, you know, panspermia. I got into this with uh, Dr. Loeb. Mm-hmm. That idea I think has some serious, serious uh, credence in the conversation. I think it's, I think it, it, it sounds super logical to me. And the fact that you, we have bacteria on this planet that can survive at the bottom, the bottom of the ocean next to an underground a, a volcano, essentially. I'm using the completely wrong terminology, but uh, those vents that... Yeah, the undersea are, the vents, the, yeah. uh, the sulfur vents. And like yep, that, right? exactly. They can survive there just fine. Um, there's a type of bacteria that can vi- survive the vacuum of space. It looks like a bear. I do not know the name of that, but... Oh, tardigrades. Uh, tardig- yeah. Thank, dude, tardigrades. thank you. So, yeah. Tardigrades. Thank you so much. Yeah, that that blows my mind. And that's right here on this planet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I definitely think that finding some sort of organism on Mars is inevitable. I really do. I think that that's the start. I think that that's how we start is finding some sort of microbe or something on 
Mars. Um, did do you know if they found? I thought they'd found like frozen ice on Mars, but I am, could be completely wrong. Do you know? Yeah, I mean, there's de- well, there's frozen ice on the moon. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there because there's definitely signs of water. So yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The, so it's you're right. It seems likely that there at least was life on Mars, if not, if not currently, but yeah, and yeah. Be interesting to see what you know what our reaction it's it's interesting like i'm just thinking about the fact that i just i take for granted that there must be other life out there and yet and it still matters to me that we actually find it right i mean it's sort of going back to the filter right the physics yeah. filter it's like you know my whole worldview is sort of based on the idea that well there must be right it just seems like the conditions you know there's so many planets that yeah that would be habitable and so on and yet you know we're still we're still looking for that really clear, conclusive evidence that, yeah. But we haven't even searched a fraction of a percent of what I didn't even know what decimal point it would be. I'd think of like a hundred zeros in front of a point one, and that's still probably too small of all the, the planets, asteroids, all the things we would need to search to find it. We're at the. Okay. Yeah. We're at like essentially preconception here right now. Like it was as far as like even beginning the search for life. And it's just so ridiculous yeah. that people think, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I've met anyone that actually thinks, yeah, we're completely alone. I don't, I really just don't think that people believe that. I, I can't imagine you would believe that. Right. Yeah, that's I, I a good question. I mean, I have encountered uh, people who do, I mean, it's an interesting, it makes me think of, there's a, one of my favorite quotes is uh, Arthur C. Clarke, who says something like, either we're alone in the universe or we're not. And yeah. either way, the implications are terrifying or something like that. I forget exactly how he words it. But I mean, but it, it either, either way, it's, I don't know, I like thinking about it in the terms of either way. Let's see, how do I want to say this? The, the process of thinking about whether we're alone or not is valuable, it feels like, right? Because because if you actually sit yourself down and sort of get yourself in a frame of mind of, okay, what if we're actually alone? Like in all this vastness, there's nobody else around and ponder the implications of that. You know, that blows my mind <laughs> to accept that. Yeah. And then, and then to accept that there are other aliens out there that, like you said, might be way smarter than us that we could learn from, you know, that's mind blowing. And so if you can sort of keep those together and, and know that, okay, yeah. one of the two of those is true. And so, you know what I mean? Like, it just yes, feels I like do. there's something about that. I mean, we can talk about that more later, but I, I, I'm really a big fan of that, that engagement, right? That there's, there's something that happens in the process of thinking about these questions and doing science and, that changes us regardless of what the answer is sort of. And I don't know. I just feel like that's super important. We should talk about that now. Cause I'm, I've okay. never really, to be honest, I've never thought in my, I don't think ever that we're completely alone. I've never actually seriously considered that, which is odd. Cause I, I consider some pretty wild idea. I entertain some wild ideas, but I've never <laughs> actually fully considered that. So I think it'd be a fun exercise. Let's do it. Okay. What if we are alone, completely alone in the universe, what are those implications? Like that? I mean, I'm having a tough time even 
contemplating. Well, it's a huge responsibility kind of, right? I mean, there's this kind of sense of, you know, if we, if we screw up, (laughs) you know, we were the, the chance to do it. So that's one thing that comes to mind for me. Um, the other is just to, I mean, it depends on sort of how you picture, you know, this goes back to the, like, looking for meaning in the universe kind of thing. Like, is it, would it be, would it be the case that we're the only ones because in some sense, you know, like the Gaia hypothesis or like the sort of cosmic version of that where you sort of think of, because a whole other tangent here kind of, but there's a big question about why is the universe even why are the conditions in the universe, like the laws of physics, the speed of light, the strength of gravity, all these things, why are they such that they allow the conditions where life can arise at all? And mm-hmm. there's a question about, you know, if you were if you were just dreaming up universes, you could imagine a universe where none of that's even possible. Yeah. Um, so if that's the case, that we're the only ones, then you could almost imagine it's sort of like a... Um, I don't know. We we might be we might be the only ones, but in some sense, we're that expression of the whole universe, right? That sort of came, you know. This we're the only ones that became conscious, but there's, um, we're sort of the tip of the iceberg, or the I don't know. That's not quite the right word. The, the, you like, think well, the tip of the spear. We're the first iteration yeah. of all the laws combined produced us. And that maybe in the next few billion years, it'll produce something else. If we were completely alone, we could prove that that would right. be where you and maybe some other of your, of your other colleagues would consider. Like, that's where it. And yeah. so what do you do with that information? Like, is it our obligation to then go out and begin seeding these other planets with life? Is that would that be humanity's task? If we could prove that, I mean, right? Yeah, that's an interesting question, right? Because then it would be really important that we preserve it, right? So that we, right, we need to seed other places to make sure that if something happens to Earth and an asteroid collision or something, that that's a really good point. But yeah, I like that idea that it just brought to mind. There's a there's a phrase from uh, a writer named Brian Swim that's that refers to us as the eyes of the Milky Way, Mm -hmm. trying to. I was trying to think of the tip of the sphere, tip of the sphere. <laughs> you know, extension that's a little less, <laughs> less uh, warlike or something. Warlike, yeah. A little, but, anyway, but, you know, that, that idea that you know the, the whole Milky Way is necessary. I guess that's what I was sort of getting at, right? Is the, the idea that for us to be here, the whole Milky Way, the whole rest of the universe is necessary. So, in some sense, even if we're if we're it, we're you know we're we're just the the eyes, but the whole universe is sort of conscious in a sense. So maybe, so I, yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure quite where I'm going with that. But hey, it's okay. It's okay. What you said, you, we just glossed over what you just said. Like the like, if we were the if we could if we could definitively prove that we we're the only conscious living things, right? Um, right. The the whole point, like the whole universe, like conspired to create us. This one thing. That's a pretty dope That's way of looking at it. It is yeah. a very heavy responsibility. It's a fun idea to entertain because then yeah. I feel like if you could prove, I don't know if this would do anything in the sort of the messed up world we live in today. Right. But if, if, if that, if we could unequivocally prove that to everyone, I really do feel like, I feel like we would have some sort of 
obligation or duty. Mm -hmm. I think we do anyways, right? I think that Mm -hmm. a lot of the smart people that I've talked to, um, especially in the physics community, they're very focused on and a lot of engineers as well, right, that are working on these rockets and whatnot. Um, they're really focused on getting us off this rock. They, mm-hmm. they, and, and I, I think that that's a wonderful thing. I think that it makes me sad when we don't fund missions to the moon anymore. Like, I think Congress just shut one down. It's, it's, um, it's inspiring and we need inspiration in this world, we need something that we can all be a part of and we can all witness that we are, you know, it's, it's in our DNA to explore. Mm-hmm. We've completely, I mean, maybe conquered the wrong word, but I can't think of anyone else. So many we've conquered the planet. We have spread across the entire planet. A lot of it just with a hope and a prayer or just to get to find more food and to graze. And we've, We've done that. We've been here. We've done that. There's nothing. There's no more peaks left to be climbed. There's no more pastures left to be found or, you know, no more promised land. That's it. This is it. The the only way we've got the ocean still. So I'm not I'm, I miss that. My bad. We still have the ocean, but we also have to look above. And those two, those are the two last frontiers for our species, right? And one is on this planet, and we should definitely explore that more because the ocean's very interesting. But I like space because we can't live in the water. And, you know, I don't know if we can live in space yet, but we got to figure out how to do it. This is not so friendly either. I said that. But yeah, I mean, this is a first time. Uh, in human history that not all members of our species are living on the planet. We've got people in space right now. Yep. And, you know, the next step, we got to put a base on the moon. Have to. I think they're going to start mining the moon. I know Russia and China and, and the United States are um, decided to mine the moon. I guess there's a bunch of minerals and stuff out there. By the way, question, did you know that Neil Armstrong saw, I believe, a green light on his mission? No. Have you heard about, oh, buddy, yes, I know something you don't know. Um, (laughs) um, There are a lot, and I cannot remember the name, so just, John, Google um, lights on the moon, but there are a lot. Okay. You got, you got something? Sweet. I already found it. Yeah. It oh, wasn't, uh, it was Neil Armstrong and I believe it was though Buzz Aldrin that saw it, not Neil Armstrong. Okay. But they both saw, or he's at least, um, Buzz Aldrin saw green lights in the distance, like, like green flashes. I think it yep, was green flashes in the distance. There's a, it's, will you find out what this phenomenon is called? There are a different astronomers that have seen flashes of light. Um, some green, some orange, and nobody know. Everyone knows who went to the moon, but nobody specifically on the moon, specifically on the moon. There are flashes of light on the moon that people have observed. And, and, and it's something that you can find on the NASA website. It is, it is a phenomena that keeps happening and no one really can explain what's going on. Um, and I just find that interesting that no one seems to know about the, these flashes on the moon. I mean, this is documented. Yeah. I don't know if we've captured any pictures or images of any of them, but I know someone thought they saw a volcano eruption on the moon. I mean, how, I don't know which, 
I don't know which. I think it was, I believe it was a Russian astronomer. And that is as good as my brain is. This is why, this is why I paid DeMarco the big bucks here. He's going to, he's going to back me up. He's going to look up everything for you. your secondary brain. We're we're demonstrating the sort of ecosystem based consciousness. Uh, So I found the, the best, uh, explanation of your flashing green lights you're talking about is they believe it is they're not sure what the origin is but that it is likely lensing from the light Mm -hmm. being bent around the moon okay because i was thinking you know there's a green flash when the sun sets that there's there are these green flashes that people have documented right of of, at the sunset time so but then that has to do with the atmosphere of the earth so i wonder if there's some similar kind of light you know, bending property that happens with dust on the moon or something. Oh, that's super interesting, though. It is. See, that's the fun stuff. It's things we don't understand yet so, that we, so yeah. that we can explore and there's mystery, right? Yes, and there's a lot of them. And this is what I try and get, like, anyone to understand, like, especially talking to, you know, I haven't talked to as many PhDs in physics or any of the hard sciences as I'd like to. But generally speaking, they're just as curious as I as all of us are. The only difference between you and them is that they actually went and <laughs> fucking started looking for answers and books. And <laughs> I'm just sitting back here, like, "Well, what's that mean? What's going on here?" That's right. and um, that's really the. I think that sometimes I feel like science has, has been a little bit hijacked and manipulated. Like I feel like it's. It's it's difficult because it's it's a it's ran by humans and that's the problem, right? But it's mm-hmm. difficult and you have egos that are involved, but it's sometimes difficult to have a different idea or to, you know, to to step outside the mainstream and the safety net of modern science and really come up with uh a unique perspective or something that might even be silly. Like a lot of the major discoveries we have have been on accident. Like it's been someone made a mistake or I was like, Oh, well, that's weird. I didn't know I could create this chemical. If I did that, I was thought this was a, you know, and, right. and I just feel it's, it's important to have people like you and, and Dr. Loeb, right. That are questioning and curious and uh, having an open mind, right? And I've said this on this podcast multiple times. The mind is like a parachute. It only works if it's open. open yeah. Yep. And being able to entertain these ideas. And, and so I, I kind of want to get into like what Dr. Loeb saw. Like what are your thoughts of Oumuamua and this object not having a cometary tail? Like what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I mean, with the with the caveat, of course, that I'm not an expert on on you know these kinds of objects, but you know I can be sort of a an educated, mostly neutral observer, right? <laughs> kind of reflecting on the not no none of us are completely neutral, but yeah. So I mean, so a couple things. So one is I mean, kind of going back to what something you were saying before about how little we know and how little we've explored. Um, you know, it, it sort of blows my mind that. Like, for example, there are something like 20 or 30,000 known near-Earth asteroids, you know, just within our own solar system. Mm -hmm. And only a few of them have been observed carefully enough to know their shapes, right? Mm -hmm. From the kind of the same way they do with with Oumuamua, where they can get the, they can watch the light as it turns and try to figure out the shape and stuff. So, I mean, that's sort of my starting point is like, it just, it blows my mind how much stuff is coming through our solar system that we have no idea about, 
right? I mean, just the, the limits of our awareness of what's going on, right? That, you know, that other objects like Oumuamua have probably been through that we just haven't happened to spot and so on. And hopefully, I mean, there are a lot of surveys, um, you know, including the one that Avi, I think, is involved with. But you know, there are others, too, right, that, that I think we'll find more of these over the next few years. So mm-hmm. hopefully we'll, these will be answered. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I guess my... I've read, you know, just a few of the papers and kind of looked at some of the data on it and stuff. And my my general sense is that this particular object is probably not an alien spaceship, right? I mean, it just sort of seems like the you son you know, of the, a gun. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, I mean, that's 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 my you know. I mean, I'm not, obviously, I'm not sure. Yeah, but that's my sense from seeing and and also kind of looking historically, like there have been. Um, you know, th- this is the this is the first time we've seen an object uh, outside of you know coming from outside of our solar system passing through. I think there's one other one now that's been recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, the chances of the very first one being an alien spaceship are probably pretty small. But that's it. that's you got uh, that you 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 have a good but, point. It's the first one but, we did observe. That's a good point. Right. Continue. Sorry. Um, so I mean, so I, I'm going to sort of withhold judgment. I think most people probably will. Until we have some statistics, right? Until we have some other objects like this or whatever. Um, I, I think, you know, like the stuff that Avi pointed out, I mean, there are certainly some peculiarities about this that that were that are and were worth investigating, right? I mean, so um, the fact that it didn't have a cometary tail, um, the extreme flatness of it, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, from what I can tell, the... The explanation that I've seen that seems to make the most sense is that there's fairly recently, unless certainly this year, there was a paper about that it was nitrogen ice, mm-hmm. uh, made, made of nitrogen ice that's sort of like what's on Pluto. Um, and again, you know, not being an expert on this, but you know, just sort of trusting what people said in the paper, um, it seems like that fits the observations pretty well. And, um, you know, and also is really cool because it gives us this kind of glimpse at like, we didn't know that there were Plutos around other stars, and now we probably do if this if this idea mm-hmm. turns out to be correct or whatever. Um, so yeah, so there's this sort of balance of like keeping an open mind and being super excited about the possibility that this could be an alien spaceship, mm-hmm. and then also trusting this process, right? I mean, that's that's sort of the thing that keeps yes. coming back yeah. to me is like th- the process is working the way it should, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the people argue and they propose different explanations and then more data come in and we sort of so yeah so i guess i would say what i've seen so far leads me to believe that the nitrogen ice idea is probably what explains this one um but i got a a full disclosure i'm I'm pushing back right now i'm pushing yeah go ahead yeah but i also need to lead with this uh i'm kind of screwed here totally biased totally think it's an alien i want to believe so that's also something that we need to consider uh in my little retort here um sure. well, I, want it, I want it to be too good so why i'm trying to be really careful yeah no i know We've never seen that before, though, to my knowledge, right? We've never seen a piece of nitrogen ice go by the from out of, that originated outside of our solar system and then went That's out. True. We've never seen that before either. So, That's right. that, the, so we have two complete 
phenomenon that we've never seen. He's saying that the most, uh, Occ- he's using Occam's razor, like this is the most likely solution to his logic. And and I do not, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't it speed, I think the, the, the reason it sped up as it left like went past Earth isn't doesn't have to do with like it going around Earth and kind of being slingshotted away. Is that is that's that kind of why it's better? Yeah, that's yeah. my understanding too. But I do not have the physics or the math to be a hundred percent sure. In fact, I've got very low uh, skills on both of those. So I want to throw that out there. What's up, John? Uh, so you're uh, accelerating uh, Amumua when it uh, was it when it <clears throat> transited the sun and it was passing Jupiter. It was approximately a hundred thousand kilometers farther than it could have been based purely on gravitational acceleration. Right. So it had to have some other push, right? Dog, it sounds like engines to me. I don't know, though. Yeah. Or, right. I mean, so the, again, I mean, I'm trusting the papers that that report that, you know, sublimating nitrogen, they say could do that. Which is, That's you know. what I was going to say. Are they saying that it was the the melting of the nitrogen potentially that would have propelled it faster? That's exactly what it's saying, right. correct? Right. Okay, okay, so, okay. Yeah, so my understanding, I mean, it, yeah, and it's really the same phenomena, right? I mean, a rocket, mm-hmm. a rocket yeah. is an artificial version of doing that sort of thing, right? You're conserving momentum and spitting some momentum out one direction so that you can go the other direction. Um, So either one, it's sort of the same explanation. It's just a question of whether it was done by, you know, by consciousness or whether it was done by uh, nature, by nature, which, you know, back to our early conversation, maybe those are not completely distinct, right? Maybe (laughs) maybe it's our our global consciousness or whatever. Yeah. But we really, Um, we really dug ourselves into a hole by going off on that tangent, didn't we? Um, uh, Either way, either way. That's pretty fucking cool. Like yes. if it's if it's the nitrogen, which has never been seen before, it's probably not what it is. Probably an alien. Uh, that that's <laughs> that's still amazing. And if it's an alien, I mean, then we know, right? Like, but we're not gonna, we're never gonna be able to answer that until we see another one. Exactly. I mean, and we're really I mean, not gonna exactly. be answer. We're really never gonna be able to answer it until we're able to like maybe intercept something like that. And there's a possibility, and again, you may know more about this than I do, uh, that, I mean, I've seen reports of it would be possible to send some sort of spacecraft. I mean, right, you know, it's going so fast that that it's not, uh, you know, something new would have to be developed to be able to do it. But I, I've, I've at least seen reports about people talking about being able to send some sort of probe that, you know, it'd still be decades out in the future to, to actually do a flyby but. Yeah. Well, the United States Navy, I believe, issued a patent for a warp drive. Now, also, John, Google that because I, I think that that's we're getting. Oh, that's probably. Yeah. I mean, there is a small group at NASA that I think is like the Alcubierre drive is what is the, the technical name for the warp drive. It's named after the physicist that kind of proposed the, the technique. So, yeah. So theoretically, that is that is possible to have oh. a warp drive. I think. I think we're a long way from actually building one, but then who knows? Do tell how this is a possibility, because I am very interested. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so the basic idea of it is it's it's very similar to um, so like Einstein's framework for thinking about space and time, right? General Mm -hmm. relativity essentially thinks of space time as a kind of a 
fabric is sort of a loose analogy to the idea, right? And so, so that basically, rather than gravity being a, a force like the electrical force, that the reason that we experience gravity is because matter and energy that are around warp the space-time. Mm-hmm. So they bend it, and then the um, other things that come by then move in response to that, kind of like a, you know the standard analogy is a put a bowling ball on a trampoline yes. and then roll a golf ball by, right? And mm-hmm. it, it moves around according to that. So, and the equations of, of general relativity are kind of the formal expression of this kind of idea that on the one side, um, matter and energy tell space-time how to bend, and then space-time tells matter how to move, right? Tells things how to move. Yeah. So the once you have that framework with the equations, then you can start doing the really fun stuff of trying to think about, well, what else does this predict, right? What else, what else can happen? And one of the things that that leads to is the idea of expanding space, which is what we think is behind, you know, the whole Big Bang model mm-hmm. of the universe, right? That space is expanding and the galaxies are moving away from each other and so on. So a kind of a similar effect related to that is if you can if you can collect the right kind of um, matter and energy together, which is kind of a strange form of, of you know, an, an unusual form of energy that you need to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. But you could potentially, on a small scale, make kind of a warping of space-time that would be sort of like, uh, the analogy I've seen for this is it would be a little bit like you're sitting on a picnic blanket mm-hmm. and, you know, lazy day, <laughs> you're just kind of hanging out on the blanket. Yeah. And you want some grapes or whatever that are across the picnic blanket, rather than physically moving across the blanket to go get it, you can scrunch the blanket up and kind of yes. pull it over to you, right? Yep. So that's essentially the the warp drive is that kind of process. And so I, my understanding is that it's been shown that that's at least theoretically possible to to create that kind of situation, so that you could you could get somewhere without having to move through the space. Exactly. Yeah. You, you, space, space is moving past you. Right. And you're, you're right. kind of stating, you're staying stationary. It's like a, a giant, you're just unzipping the, whatever, the space-time continuum and stepping into a dip, the Andromeda galaxy and, right. and going to explore Kepler-22b, right. which or, is the dream. It's kind of like, the, I don't know if, if you've ever read A Wrinkle in Time, you know, the, the I have ever seen the movie. Uh, you know, Madeline Engel's kind of idea of the, the the wrinkle in time or wrinkle in space is kind of the same idea. Sort of. I, 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 oh, DeMarco, what's up? Oh, I, so I found your patents that you were talking about, the Navy's patents. Uh, I think the one that you're talking about is it is a, a high-frequency gravitational wave propulsion device. Ooh, okay, that's that different would use uh where is it uh it would use controlled using the paris effect uh controlled motion of electrically charged matter via acceleration vibration and or acceleration spin subjected to smooth yet rapid acceleration transients in order to generate extremely high energy high intensity electromagnetic fields Um, and the navy says that they are planning to or trying to use it to develop a propulsion uh, propulsion system with a fusion drive for a hybrid aerospace underwater craft. Wow. I don't know what any of that means. Can you translate <laughs> that for me, Todd? 
I'm not sure I know what most of that oh, means either. Um, other than I can tell, I can tell that it's not my warp drive that I was just talking mm-hmm. about. But so somehow there, I mean, it, it's more like a just in fancy terms. It's more like a traditional, you know, some some sort of propulsion system where they're where they're generating a high enough energy to be able to spit some kind of plasma or whatever out the back to propel you the other direction or whatever. But okay. that sounds really cool too. Yeah. Well, I mean the, the, the military, that's where you got to look sometimes for really, really sick technological advancements. They had a computer before everyone else in like the fifties. Yeah. And then we have nuclear submarines and nuclear aircraft carriers that can stay out indefinitely. Like, We've figured out nuclear propulsion, and it's not available on uh, a large scale in a commercial. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a good idea, but you know, it's still like we got it. We figured it out, and and uh, so sometimes I keep an eye on these these patents, and and sometimes I poke around and yeah, see what's cool. going on because that's the they're right at the cutting edge. I mean, they've got shit that. I, I can't even imagine um, what they have, but that, I mean, that, that was submitted quietly and someone that some crazy alien person that I, I know told me about it was like, dude, this is it. They have the technology. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, there, I'm, 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 uh, I'm interested to, to kind of see what happens there. Yeah. That's, not something I knew about either. So, and again, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to go faster than the speed of light. No. With that, but you could still go would, really fast. Which, would you be going faster wow. than this? Would you be going faster than the speed of light with a warp drive, essentially? Well, I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a little bit of a tricky question. I mean, so not really, you wouldn't be moving through space faster than the speed of light, but at least in principle, you could get. You can get from one place to another yeah. faster than light could cover that distance. Exactly, because I just another example that I saw with this is like a you fold a piece of paper hot dog style and stick your finger, exactly. stick the pencil through it, and it's like oh you're there, um, right. and that that that's a good way for me to you know understand this. You're just cutting the distance off, so you could be there, and I don't even I don't even know. There's there's a lot yeah, of I mean, interesting- in principle you could be there in yeah any amount of time, right? Exactly. There's a there's an interesting. Um, oh, okay. I got now. I got to bring this up since I've got a, a much brighter mind than me. I was watching some. I don't know some video. Is there a point in space? And I'm going to butcher this, so I apologize. Is there a point in space at which you can travel to that you could? You could never get back to. No, not never get back to Earth, but it would take. X amount of t- uh, what's up, John? You you, you figured out what I I'm trying to say? I think that's the cause. The the what is that? The um the uh like cosmic horizon. Cosmic horizon. There's, that's yeah, actually good. Yeah, there's a point where you you go uh, past that point. It's impossible to go back to your original position because you could not match the rate of acceleration of the universe and accelerate faster than it to get back because you are while you are are traveling away at whatever your relative speed is the universe is also moving and expanding oh yes. fuck okay so, yeah this is definitely this is okay, definitely in the great minds think alike category because the three of us were all thinking about the same thing here yeah so um because i yeah because uh, rick as you were talking about the the wrinkling thing and how fast th- that's that's a case where we see it 
happen for sure is that, you know, pe- people talk about some galaxies moving away from us, quote, faster than the speed of light, which isn't mm-hmm. really quite accurate. It's like what John's saying that the, the, um, if, if you think of space as this fabric that's expanding, right? It's every, like, let's just say every little, every little square of space is doubling in a certain amount of time. Then you can think about if you're far enough away, there's enough space already in between the two points that you're talking about that doubling means taking them, you know, over the next second or whatever it is. Additionally, another amount away from each other that is bigger. Let's see. I, let me say this better. The, the, the increase in distance between the two things you're talking about, like you and some home that you want to get back mm-hmm. to, can get to the point where it's increasing faster than the fastest you can cover the distance. So it'd be like it's sort of like being on a treadmill, right? Yes. It's, it's sort of moving faster than you can run. Mm-hmm. And so you're never going to get back to the edge of whatever the long treadmill is or something like that. And that's that's what we think with a lot of evidence, right? I mean, that's what we think is really happening in the universe, that there, there is this cosmic horizon where we can't know what's beyond there because there's there's no way for information from that to get to us. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've always thought about that. And I was I always wondered, like, does the, the warp drive, does that essentially negate that? Because that's something that you would need to really figure out, right? Like, I, I would assume that if we're able to develop a warp drive, because if we develop a warp drive, and we're out here exploring the cosmos and colonizing planets. Like, I would assume we need to kind of figure that out. I, I think it pretty much cancels it out because you're you're cutting a hole in space and being able to jump back. But mm-hmm. still, I would hate to be on one of those missions where it's like, oh, we didn't factor this into this equation. We're lost in space, you know? Yeah, and it's using sort of the same principle. So I guess, I mean, it would it is sort of factored into that in some way, but yeah. So there's still limits to what you could do, but, but it would, I'd, I'd be pretty happy with being able to explore the entire observable universe. <laughs> yeah. If, if I can't go beyond the horizon. There's still plenty to see in that. Yeah. I, I think that this video, I, was, I don't even know the name of it, but it was like talking about, you know, if you went this far out and then came back, this is what the earth would look like if you went this far out. And then, I mean, that got to a point where like humans had become extinct and, Earth and just oh, like yeah. was just absolutely like this would be a place without us it was kind of depressing <laughs> without us like this planet would be a place where there was so much life like you wouldn't even recognize it like at, at a certain point of time like the the, the through continental shifting and stuff like. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was a super, like, Pangea. I don't know. I don't know. This is years ago or months ago. I don't remember. John, what's up? Uh, so I think I might have found the warp drive that you were talking about, Dr. Duncan. Um, I think it's the Alcubierre. Yep, Alcubierre. Drive. I think it's Alcubierre. Yeah, Alcubierre. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, let's see, it was a paper that was released by uh, Bobic in Martire, I think. In 1994, the concept that they used was instead of generating a massive gravity force to propel you, uh, the idea is to take a planet-sized gravitational field and compress it somehow to the relative size of a spacecraft, and then you would have the gravitational ability or gravitational uh, 
strength of a planet instead of having to generate one. That you could you could bend space time enough to exactly. Yeah. We don't have enough energy to power that. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's there's some engineering issues. To be, yeah. To be that. I don't but, even, you know, I mean, it's cool to just know that things like this are plausible. I mean, I think that's what they've demonstrated mm-hmm. so far is that it's not. It doesn't violate any of the known laws of physics. So it's kind of buried in the things that we know from other observations and stuff. Which is oh yeah. I've got, I'm going to put you on the spot here. My apologies. What is one thing, like we have quantum mechanics, that's where things get weird, but what is one thing in physics that, and I I should have looked this up, that we just don't have an answer to yet? Or or some, I think we have all the laws hammered out, but what is one thing that is stumping people right now that I should be aware of? That's a good question. Let's see. Well, I mean, I think the the dark matter issue is certainly one. I mean, there there are a lot. I could, we could we could spend a lot of time talking about all the things that stump us. That that's yeah. that's the fun, right? But I mean, and just and more more generally, like what's causing you know Vera Rubin and other people kind of realize that galaxies are not gravitationally like the the stars we can see are not orbiting in a way that matches the gravitational influence of the matter that we can see, which is oh. no big surprise because, of course, w- there's stuff that's dark, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't give off visible light. Um, but the the scale of it is such that there's a, you know, essentially if, if the, well, if the observations are correct, which they seem to be, that it means that either we need way, way more matter than the kind of normal matter that we're made out of, um, you know, many times more in order to explain the the orbits, right? You know, just to have enough gravitational effect to cause the pull to make them spin the way they, or to make them orbit the way they are. Or there's something about our understanding of gravity that breaks down at those large scales, um, you know, so that we're we're miscalculating how much mass there needs to be because we have the laws of gravity wrong in some way. Um, and most of kind of mainstream, you know, kind of in the same spirit of the the mainstream versus the maverick kind of <laughs> views of things, right? Most of the mainstream uh, astronomers, I think, are still pretty confident that it's some kind of dark matter, but we, it's still a mystery what that would be. And people have looked for it in, certain, in a lot of ways that and haven't found it. So there's a lot of speculation about I have a feeling something big is going to happen there, right? Either either we're going to find some interesting new particle that we didn't know about, or we're going to have to reshape, not, not reshape, but at least modify kind of how we view how gravity works on these large scales. And either way, it's going to be a, a big change, I think, to, you know, a big breakthrough in, in how we see things. Um, so we, I, I really thought that we had figured out that there was dark matter. So this is we can't definitively prove. I thought for some reason the high U that that accelerator, that massive accelerator that we built, that we had found some or, or something. But I'm, I'm off there. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, there's a lot of there's been a lot of hints, but I unless the high I mean, is it the hydron accelerator. Just- yeah, so that was that was finding the Higgs boson. So they have found evidence of the Higgs boson, which is related to to mass, what gives things mass. But that's not the 
the dark matter particles they're looking for are something like um, something like a neutrino that doesn't doesn't interact like with light or basically with anything except gravity and the so-called weak nuclear force, um, but that has more mass that could that could explain these um, effects. So you know, again, it's like people assume it's there, but and it's it's by its nature it's very elusive, right? I mean, it's a particle that, that if if it exists, there are many of them streaming through us right now, mm-hmm. which is also true of neutrinos. Yeah, right? that they're, they're they're pouring through you all the time. But they don't interact, so so we don't detect them. So as you can imagine, building a detector to see one of these is is complicated, right? They put huge tanks of water down in deep mine shafts where they don't inter- don't have other particles getting in the way and stuff. So you know the experiments are hard to find them, but still there are constraints that have been put on this that seem most of the predictions for what the properties of these particles should be have been ruled out by. The experiments and so a lot of people are trying to figure out what's what's going on with that and that's you know again like we talked about that's the fun stuff right i mean yeah. that's sort yeah, of yeah. one things where we don't know what's going on yeah and then for the listeners that like might not be might not understand what was what the importance of the higgs and uh oh boy boson boson yeah the higgs yes. boson yeah, what's the importance? What's the significance of that to the community? It's essentially in the in the particle physics model of of kind of all the different particles. You know, just like um, the ones that most people are more familiar with, right? We're made out of protons and neutrons and electrons, right? So if you break down the matter that we're made out of, that they're these particles. Um, there are other kinds of particles. Well, the photon is a good example that light's made out of. The photon is one kind of boson. Um, the they're the particles that carry carry forces, mm-hmm. I guess and it tends to be. Um, so the the significance of the Higgs boson is supposed to be that in this framework, it's what gives particles mass. So the the interaction with the Higgs boson and and how how strong like you know some particles have more mass than others, that would mean that they interact more strongly with the Higgs boson. Yep. So the yeah, the That's analogy I've seen is it's sort of like going through molasses, right? How how much of a cross section you have for getting through something decides how how much it slows you down or not. If you're very streamlined, you can go through easily. If you're not very streamlined, then you slow down, and that's that's what decides how much mass you have. Absolutely, so that, that's why it's a big deal. I I. I that, so that part of physics has always like been super difficult for me. The the getting down to that granular level, I'm like, oh, what? What? Yeah. Let's talk about planets more. Uh, but that's yeah. well, you, <laughs> notice, you notice that I'm a big picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. Me too. But but I would be rem- I would uh, regret this. Uh, I got it. We're going to bring it back to aliens, and then I want to be respectful yep. of your time as well. But sure. we gotta. Mm-hmm. We got to bring up Mr. Lazar, the the, 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 the probably. Do you familiar with Bob Lazar? Yeah, but I can't remember why. Like the name sounds familiar. It's the guy that worked at uh, Area Fifty One. Uh, kind of right. came out. What? What? I believe that we just discovered this element that he talked about in the eighties, which is I think Element One Fifteen. Do you know anything about this? I don't. Oh, it's okay. 
It's okay. I'm not even going to try and explain it. I was, I, dude, I, it was something that, that, that these craft were, I believe is what the, the fuel they ran on. John, pull this up though. I'm way uh, up. Element 115 here. is called Moscovium. Uh, it's a synthetic okay. chemical element and it was synthesized in 2003 by a team of Russian and American scientists at the Joint Institute for Nuclear Research in Russia. Okay. So, so 115 meaning that its atomic number is 115, I presume. Correct. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's uh, 115, group 15, uh, period 7. Okay. Hey, explain when Bob Bazaar found out about this. So we'll pull that up. It was in the 80s. Awesome. So this is like... Bob Lazar talked about it before it was yes. before it was created in the experiments yes. in, the, in the Soviet experiments or whatever. Yes, yes, yeah. There's an, there's there's a, there's enough of the paper trail that I've been on for uh, me and many others. I'm not the only crazy person. You're talking to a crazy person, man. Full disclosure, hundred percent. Right. Right. I question everything. Uh, that's the way we should be. The, well, that is the way. There's just a, it. Here's the one thing. I'll tell you something that's pretty trippy. This is a good place to kind of end. Are you familiar with the Dogon tribe in mm-hmm. Sub-Saharan? Oh, you are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Uh, I just bought a book um, on these. This And, and for folks that don't uh, know, Google it. Essentially, and I'll butcher this, so bear with me. But essentially, it's a tribe of people that these French anthropologists they didn't discover them but they started talking to them and they happened to have a amazing amount uh, of knowledge in astronomy and mathematics for like a tribal community like, this doesn't make any sense how do you they started talking to the elders how did you elders how did you get this knowledge and they're like uh we were visited by aliens like 5000 years ago so and and they discovered a planet don't know the planet john be, be on the keyboard they discovered a planet uh in they didn't dis- they told them about this planet and it was discovered by nasa in the 70s and i found that fascinating and this is this gets back to my conversation with dr loeb he's like and we'll get one second um he's how do we know that we haven't been contacted right in the past? How do we, how do we not know that if we went, if something visited us here and it visited a tribe in sub-Saharan Africa or the Amazon or even in Europe, right? And they just kind of talked and explained some things and then they left and it, that gets passed down through, um, myths or stories right this is the way they keep records and then this this tribe still to this day has a religion that's based on this with the math and and the astrology that's something that we need to consider it's it it gets to the point of woo woo right and you need a little woo woo in life friends remember that you need a little woo woo life's more fun with it but it's it's a question and i mean it's it's when I found out about it, it's like I need to buy a book on this, and there's probably going to be a lot of bullshit in this book that I'll have to sift through. But there's going to be some interesting stuff. John, what did you have to say? Uh, we can't hear you, man. There it yeah. is. I got to unmute my mic. Sorry. Okay. Uh, two things. First thing, the uh, Navy, or I'm sorry, Bob Lazar. Uh, he described Element 115 in the 1980s as it was a possible source of anti-gravitational propulsion in what he described uh, in detail was uh, aircraft rotating and flying belly up and all kinds of different ways to find the physics, uh, divine the laws of physics, just like uh, the video of the Tic Tac uh, pill 
things in the uh, that who is that David Traber? Commander then the David Commander Traber. David Traber. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so there's that, and then the other thing, the Dogon. So they believe that they come from a planet uh, in the Sirius B system. Right, and uh, according to oh, I just had it. Where did it go? There, uh, there's a. They say that they. Uh, sorry, brain. Uh, Sirius B was discovered as early as 1844, but the Dogon have a 400 year old artifact that depicts Sirius the Sirius A and B configurations, and they celebrate uh, the cycle of Sirius A and B. Um, it's weird. They like there's something about how they think that the Earth is an arc of sorts. It's they they because they have myths, and I'm I mean they have a myth. Okay, all right, we're Todd. We're we're going to Looneyville, so strap in, my friend. <laughs> they have a myth that there was a time before the moon, so they believe that the moon was either built or transported here, right, and placed. In front of the sun. And it is weird because the moon's a strange place. We're getting woo-woo here, people, so bear with me. Uh, I believe that Neil Armstrong landed. He heard ringing or something like that. Also, pull that up. Could be full of shit, but I think I'm right. Um, and if you look at the moon and how important it is to life on this planet, number one, it shields us from asteroids. It absorbs a lot of, of, of impact for us. Number two, it helps with the tide. The tides going helps the tide fluctuates in and out. And Todd, believe me, I'm at the end of my intelligence here, but no, I'm gonna keep going. Great. All right, yeah. and I believe here it is. I think it protects us a bit from the sun. Could be full of shit there, but that's all I got. Those are my three yeah, I'm not things. Sure about that? Could Damn. could be. I'm, but yeah, I'm, but anyway, I'm but it's it's very. Sta- I mean, it's yeah. You know, in the spirit of our all the things that have to come together to make. A habitable planet you know having a moon is one of those uh i do know that the moon as well it it's uh doesn't help protect us from the sun as far as i know but it does it's a huge uh gravitational pull that can attract a lot of uh asteroids and yeah. potential Co- impact objects covered right. that john dog i covered that bro quit trying to steal my sunshine um um no but th- so that's that's their that's their myth right and there's obviously going to be a lot of things that are like it's a bit of a religion. It's, it's it's a bit weird, but I feel like there's a little bit of truth in there, mm-hmm. right? And and again, I'm totally biased. And life, and personally, I've said this a billion times. Life is far more fun with a lot of mystery and not being sure of everything. I would hate to be sure of everything. I'm always willing to learn new things. I will resist them if you say there's not aliens, hands down. But I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to enter. To shame on you, Todd. Earlier for not. <laughs> <laughs> Now, but, wait uh, a second. I want to clarify that I didn't say there were not aliens. I'm I'm with you on there being aliens. I'm just I'm just not sure that that particular. I'm not just sure that Oumuamua is alien. I know right? that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I'm obviously in the opposite camp, but again, you yeah. can't take it with a great assault, man. I'm so biased on this subject; it's not even well, funny. But well, um, and I think. Can I emphasize something that you yeah. said that I think is really important? Is that you know? I mean, I think that's the beauty of this whole process. Is that that you can you can have mystery and speculation and all these things and then and with because you have this overarching framework that says we'll discuss it and we're open minded about it yes. and we'll collect observations and we'll see right so that you don't have to you don't have to shut somebody down by just saying well you're not allowed to speculate because yeah. because we have this framework where it'll it'll things will shake out 
Right? Oh yeah. Uh, so but, I, think that, I think that's what makes it fun. A hundred percent. And the more, you know, I, I that's why I, lo- I love talking with people like you and, and other academics, right? Uh, they're very happy that I'm so open-minded and interested. And cause a, a lot of science in my opinion, it's just years of toiling and darkness and discovering maybe one thing, and that's it. You're just contributing. And maybe in, in it's, it, we just had this conversation a few weeks ago on the pod with artists, right? Actually, I think it was last week. How, how many of these people dedicated their life and maybe made something so profound, but they were ahead of their time, and no one really mm-hmm. could understand what it what it was that they discover they or they 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 found the key that unlocks this mystery and then they die and they and they they just drift off into obscurity and that's their life's work i mean that's it's part of the human condition of just being silently disciplined and toiling away on a problem for years for the betterment of all of us and it's something that um i don't know it's something romantic there's something beautiful about that. There's something also very tragic. I don't know. It's complex. Those, those are related. The, the tragedy and the beauty are probably related, right? Yeah. I, I would add that, I mean, I think I've sort of said this before, but I just, and this is my bias, is that I feel like there's there's something so profound that happens, like just this conversation that we just had or like what I experienced when I'm out with, students with a telescope or the public with a telescope or whatever, you know, like the process of engaging in these questions, like, like, I think it's important that we think seriously about was Oumuamua an alien spacecraft, right? Whether or not we decide that it was the process of thinking about that and evaluating it and engaging with those questions. Like it's just, it, it's really transformative, right? I mean, it's, I mean, at least for me, I'm in a totally different frame of mind when I'm like, Oh, that's, that's possible. Yeah, I yeah. I think. Well, I think that that you know, kind of gives you a reason to maybe even get up, right? Like that. Exactly. You right. don't know everything, and that there are so many things out there waiting to be discovered. There are so many worlds that we don't know about and mysteries for mm-hmm. us to solve. And mm-hmm. um, I think that. We will ne- the fact that we'll never solve all of them and we'll never know everything. I think that that's that's a beautiful thing, and it's also very, you know, it's it's a bit depressing if I'm being honest, but it's also like pretty cool. It gives it it gives meaning, right? It gives meaning to many people, and also is a great. I, I think back to when I was a kid and I would think about the concept of, I, was, I have a very religious background. And so um, not that I am anymore, but that's how I was raised. And we would talk about the idea of God and how he's been there forever, much like the big bang, right? Both ideas kind of sound ridiculous to me, but I would think about like, I, one of the questions was, so wait, what was before God? And my dad would be like, nothing. It was just, he's been here forever. And I remember when I was a little boy in my bedroom and I would think about the idea of like infinity because that was, a, you know, that first number that little kids figure out. And I, I would honestly hallucinate thinking about this number because I could not understand it. It, it, it almost short-circuited my brain because I just did not have the tools to quite understand it. And, and if we're all being honest, everyone pretty much on the planet still doesn't even understand the number a billion like we really can't wrap our minds around that. And then when we start talking about how large 
the universe is that's even bigger. And we can't begin to understand how big and vast this thing is and how much mysteries and how many answers lie out there. I mean, our destiny is in the stars. That's where we all come from. We're all just a bunch of space junk, dust, right? And it's time we, we go out there. Pondering the mystery. Yeah. Hey, man, this is, that was a great, this is a good place to end it. I, uh, sounds good. Todd, I, I really appreciate you. We're going to have you on again, man, for sure. Uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I'll come back more prepared once I read that book about the Dogon people and uh, (laughs) any other weird, uh, you know, findings in the physics world, physics world, please let me know, man. I'll have you on again. We'll we'll talk about it. Yeah. We can have specific things if we come up. I, yeah, I just, I super enjoy the conversation. Like I said, I just like being engaged with all that stuff with people like you guys who are thinking about it. So, yeah. Well, again, thanks. Uh, you, do you have a book? Anything you want to plug? Now's your time. Uh, well, I can plug Pacific University, I guess. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good place. I, I do have a, I do have a little book, I guess. There's a book uh-huh. that, that for a nonprofit that I uh, ran for a while. Uh, it's called Glimpses of Wonder. You can find it on Amazon. Um, it's sort of exploring these kinds of things. So yeah, I can, I can plug that if you want something to look at. Glimpses of wonder. You heard it here, folks. For heard it here for uh, first, folks. Hey, Todd. Again, I appreciate it. Um, listeners, please, please, please smash the like button. Uh, it helps us a lot. Uh, go ahead. Feel free to comment on all the videos. Uh, I'll get in there. We'll go to war if you disagree with me on aliens, but that's okay. That's okay. It's all love in here. Um, you know, give us five stars on iTunes if you think we're worthy. We appreciate that. Appreciate that. It helps the show grow. And thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Our job is to keep getting better and keep bringing you value. So love you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.